We're starting a new uh, sermon series in the a book of the Bible. We'll be moving through the book of the Gospel of Matthew, the first of four Gospels in the New Testament. It's the longest Gospel, in a Gospel in which Matthew takes great care to show all the ways that Jesus fulfilled the promises that there would be a Savior for God's people Matthew's very interested in reading what we call the Old Testament or the Hebrew Scriptures and showing how Jesus is the fulfillment of what came before him. He is the long-expected Jesus, the Jesus that people have been waiting for, whether they knew it or not. Today we're going to read chapter 1. I'm not going to read the entire list of names. Uh, uh, You have it before you. You can do it on your own. Uh, But we'll read uh, summaries and portions of this. And then we'll read part of what you often think of as the Christmas story. Um, And we'll hear uh, one of the accounts in the Bible of how Jesus was born. I'll read this passage and then together we'll affirm that this is God's word. Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 25, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Now, continuing in verse 17, so all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to Christ, 14 generations. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Well, as I said, this is, uh, for many of us, a familiar text. It's one of two passages in the Bible that tells the story of the birth of Jesus. Every year, stories like this and the similar story in the Gospel of Luke are read around Christmas time. So you may have heard many stories on this before, many sermons on this before. Last year, as our church moved through, moved towards Christmas, we looked at several passages in the Bible that talked about the name that Jesus was given. We did several sermons on the names of Jesus. You may remember that. This, pa- this sermon uh, text was one of them, and you might notice as we read it today that names are a really big part of this passage. 
We see that in several ways. First of all, we hear a reference to Jesus as the son of David and the son of Abraham. Those were names that Jesus was given. He was showing he was related to people that came before him. You might have a name that's something like Junior. Uh, or maybe over years ago, you, someone was John's son and you got a last name, Johnson. But there are other names here as well. I didn't read all of them, but there's a long list in a genealogy. It's a list of people who, who descended from someone else. Matthew gathers his list selectively and wants to show that there's an ordering to the list. But also, the name Jesus is referenced in this passage. And, and uh, Matthew tells us the, the name of the meaning of the name. The naming is important, as well as a name coming from the Old Testament, Emmanuel. Now, because we uh, read this every year, and because we have uh, already talked about some of these things in great deal detail just a couple months ago, I'm not going to go into great detail on the particular names. But what I want to talk about as we look at this passage today is the way that Matthew wants to show us that Jesus was expected. Jesus was fulfilling the promises that came before him. It's one of the parts of this gospel that is so important and one of the things that is that makes the gospel of Matthew different. There are many places that he does just what he does here today. He says, did you not know that Jesus fulfilled the promises before him? He fulfilled the words of the prophet. And, and Matthew even takes all of the names in, in the history of Jesus that came before him, the ancestors of Jesus, and says, Jesus is the one you've been waiting for. He is the one that people were ready to expect. I'd like to do two things today, and then we'll, we'll close with a, a third. But the first is, we'll show how Matthew uses names to show us that people were expecting Jesus. Secondly, we'll show what Jesus came to do when he arrived as the savior of sinners. And third, we'll ask a very simple question, how does this affect your life? So first of all, Jesus was someone who was expected to arrive. Now, I think all of us know what it means to expect something. It means we're waiting for something. Have you ever been waiting for a certain day to come? Maybe Christmas. All right, maybe some of you are even counting now how many days till Christmas. I'm guessing there's about 100 or maybe a little less. Does anyone know how many days till Christmas? No, not yet, but you'll start counting soon. Uh, we at least have to, you say, Pastor Matt, we at least have to get through Halloween first. All right, that's, that's reasonable. Maybe you have a birthday coming up and you're counting the days. Or maybe someone very special is going to visit and you're expecting them. Do you know that it's possible to expect people that you haven't met before? I remember a story several years ago. I was invited to speak at a school. It was a Christian school. And a woman who's a member of our church was a teacher there. She invited me to come to meet her class and to go to the chapel. I was a little bit nervous about going to a school where I didn't know anybody before. And our children were making school decisions that were pretty, uh, pretty difficult. And as I went, I thought, what will it be like to go to a new school and meet people? 
I was going to be the speaker, so there was a little bit of pressure. As I walked in the door to her classroom, something very unusual happened. All of the kids jumped up out of their seats and ran over to give me a hug. And they were jumping up and down, and they were so excited. They said, he's here, he's here. It was actually very moving for me to experience that, because I thought they don't actually know me. But their teacher had been preparing them. They said, a special friend is going to come and going to speak to us in chapel today. They were expecting me, even though they didn't know me. What Matthew does here is he tells us that the Old Testament, or the Hebrew Scriptures, was given by God to his people so that they could expect Jesus even before they met him. That's what it was all about. And if you're filling in blanks, the word might be expect, E-X. They were ready to expect Jesus. Look, three ways that that happens that, that Matthew shows it to us. First of all, he uses the names themselves to create expectation. Do you notice that in, in, the, uh, in the one section in verse 17, he lists the groups of names in groups of 14. He says, all the generations from Abraham to David were 14, from David to the deportation to Babylon. If you've been with us in the book of Nehemiah, you know what he's talking about. The God's people were taken to Babylon. Then they came back. And the generation from the deportation to Christ were 14 generations. Now Matthew doesn't count every generation. In some places he counts the important leaders. But he gathers them in a way that when we read it now, we say, Oh, we know now that Jesus was coming and he came right on time. Everything had been building up for Jesus to arrive the Apostle Paul says that Jesus came in the fullness of time. Everything had been preparing the way for Jesus. Another way that he does it is by highlighting that Jesus is the son of Abraham. Now, if you were a Jewish person, young or old, in the first century, you would have all known Abraham because he was the first person that, your, that God made a promise to and his family after him. He was the great, 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 great grandfather of all of the Jewish people. God had made a very special promise to Abraham that he would be a special, have a special relationship with him. He said, I will be your God and you will be my people. Today when we did a baptism, I read a promise from the Old Testament, from the book of Genesis. It was a promise God made to Abraham. He said, I will be God to you and to your children after you. So they knew God had made a very special promise, but from the very beginning, there was a problem. There was a problem that emerged, and it made people wait and expect all the more. The problem is this, that every step along the way, God's people turned away from him. Abraham did it in his own life shortly after God met him. He did it multiple times. He didn't believe God. He didn't trust his care. And he hurt the people around him. Later, God's people would find themselves prisoners, slaves in Egypt. And when God saved them, he brought them out through the Red Sea and he brought them into a new land that he would give them. <coughs> he was with them in a cloud and in a fire, but very, very quickly, God's people began to rebel against him. And so from the time of, of uh, Abraham and Moses forward, 
We, they knew God's promise to be with them, but the question the Bible asked was this, how will a holy God live with people that rebel against him? How is this relationship going to work if people keep turning away? And so to read the story of the Old Testament is to read a story that builds in expectation. God promised to do it, but how will it be possible? How will God live among his people when they turn away from him, when their hearts are hard and their necks are stiff? It's an important question for us today too. How will God live with people like us? Well, that was leading them to expect someone who would come and fix it. The other name that brought expectation is the name Son of David. You'll notice in the very opening verses, he says, Jesus Christ, the Son of David, the Son of Abraham. And this whole list of names from Abraham down through David emphasizes these important people. David was the great king of Israel. He, he wasn't perfect. He made some terrible mistakes. But the Bible says he loved God with his whole heart. And he is an example of someone who was committed to God even when it was hard. God made a promise to David also. He promised that David would have a descendant who would have an eternal throne, who would be the perfect king, who would set everything right. Well, it wasn't going to be David's actual son, Solomon, because he was unfaithful. But people began to wait for the son of the son of the son, the descendant of David, the one God's promise would be real to, the one who would be the anointed king or the christened king. The word we use in English, Christ, shows that this, is going, this was the king who was anointed or christened to be the true son of David, the true king who would save God's people. Around the year 0 AD, someone was born to Mary, Mary uh, uh, of Nazareth. Someone was born in Bethlehem. And this person, Jesus, is the Christ. That's what Matthew's telling us. He is the one you've been waiting for. He's the one people were expecting. The one who would lift the curse. Let me give an example of a, a fairly famous movie. It's a little bit old, but perhaps you've seen it. There's a famous cartoon musical called Beauty and the Beast. It's a story of a, of a young girl who loved books, but whose father accidentally ended up in a castle ruled by a beast. This beast was under a curse because he was an unkind person. And so Belle offered herself to be taken prisoner in his place so that he would live. The curse that rested on the beast rested on the whole castle. And you may remember in this uh, particular telling of the story, the cartoon musical, all the people who lived in the castle had been turned into household items, right? So there are, there are uh, plates that talk and cups that talk and candlesticks and clocks and feather dusters that talk, but they're really people who've been cursed. And they know there's one way for the curse to be lifted, and that is for the beast to really fall in love with someone who knows him and sees him. You may remember in the story, this sense of expectation begins to emerge very quickly. After Belle comes to live in the castle, all of the servants say to each other, do you think maybe she's the one we've been waiting for? Maybe because she's come, the curse can be lifted. 
That's the sense of expectation that Matthew wants us to have. There is a a curse that rests on God's people because of our disobedience. It rests over all people, but someone is coming. God promised to Abraham. Someone is coming. God promised to David. All in the fullness of time, someone is born. Jesus, the Christ, and he will save his people. The second thing Matthew does in the passage is not only show us that Jesus had been expected, but he shows us what Jesus does and why it's so important. Jesus came to answer the biggest question people have, the question that had come from the beginning. How can people who are sinful and rebellious live in the presence of a holy God? Jesus came to answer the most important question. He does this by showing us the two names. First of all, let me remind you of the story. Again, for some of you, it's familiar. Uh, Jesus is born to Mary, but it is no ordinary birth. Mary and Joseph were betrothed. They were living in a small town and far away from Jerusalem, far away from the important places in Israel, a place that many people didn't think about as being very important. They were betrothed to be married. That's something like what we have with engagement, but much more serious. If you wanted to break a betrothal, it would be a divorce, which is the language we see in the passage. Well, surprise of all surprises, uh, Mary finds that she's pregnant, but Joseph knows he wasn't the father. He thinks that she's been unfaithful to him, but he didn't want her to suffer great shame or even... uh, terrible penalties for being unfaithful so he decided he would deal with it quietly but God showed up and spoke to Joseph in a dream and he told him Joseph this is no ordinary baby this baby was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit God himself has come to be here and to be with us this is the baby you've been waiting for Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Jesus was born in a supernatural way. And then the text goes on to tell us two names that tell us right from the beginning what Jesus is going to do and why it's so important. You shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. There was a little copy error in the bulletin and part of that verse was cut off, but that's what it reads. He shall save his people from their sins. Jesus came in the fullness of time after great expectation to do the thing that we needed most. Jesus came to save people like me and you who are sinners. The problem that had haunted God's people throughout the Bible. The problem that haunts all people everywhere in the world. How can we live in the presence of a perfect God? The Bible uses the word sin to describe the bad things we do when we disobey God and his laws. But it also uses the word sin to describe the inner parts of our heart. Not only do we do bad things... But we know sometimes we want bad things. The Bible says at the deepest level, we aren't oriented to God. We're not turned to God. We don't love God, but we love ourselves. Our sin runs so deep. It's past what we do. It really is who we are. You see, the first time you hear the story, The Beauty and the Beast, you probably think about it from the perspective of Bell. 
the lead character, a wonderful girl who's brave, who's courageous, who's kind and loving, who saves her father and ultimately in her love saves everyone in the castle. But if we really think carefully about the story, we realize we're not very much like Belle, are we? In fact, if there's any saving that goes on, it's someone else that needs to do it. The truth is we're much more like the beast. We're much more like people whose, whose inner selfishness and inner sin, if it was seen on the outside, would look quite beastly. The good news of the gospel is that God loved us. He sees us clearly and accurately and he gave us Jesus. Jesus loved us so much that he gave his life in our place. Just as Belle loved her father and went to prison in his behalf, Jesus loved us so much that he went to the cross and there he gave his life, paying the penalty of our sin. Jesus came to live the life we should have lived. He was a real person, a real person like me and you, and he lived the life perfectly from beginning to end, never beastly in any way, but he gave himself for us to save his people from their sins. This is how God will live with people like me and you. This is how we can come into his presence. This is how we can find forgiveness. Jesus is the savior of sinners. But that's not the end of the story. It gets even better. The good news gets better because Jesus has a second name. The name Jesus literally means God saves, Yahshua. But it was a common name, something like Joseph today, or jo I'm sorry, Joshua today, not Joseph, Joshua. Something like that name today. Many people may have been named Jesus, but the second name is very special, and we don't know if anyone actually called this to Jesus in his life. It was the name Emmanuel. It's a Hebrew word, and it comes from an old prophecy from the book of Isaiah that says, one day there'll be a special baby who will be born in a very special way, and he will be Emmanuel, which means God with us. You see, not only was Jesus fully and truly human, but he was fully and truly God. And when Jesus was born into this world, we could look at him and say, that is God with us. The eternal God took human flesh and lived among us. He not only lived truly as a man, but he lived humbly as our God. Jesus was really God. He was truly divine. And because of that, we look at him and say, this is God with us. God was with Joseph and Mary when the birth happened in the manger. He was with the shepherds and the wise men. He was with his disciples as they followed him. And after his death, he was raised from the dead and he poured out the Holy Spirit. And he said, whenever you gather in my name, I am with you. Now as we gather in the church, we gather in the presence of God by the Holy Spirit and we wait for a day when Jesus will return and we will see him clearly and we will live in all eternity with God. That's really good news, isn't it? It's good news. Jesus, the one we've been waiting for, the one we've expected, he arrived and he was able to do what we most needed. He saves us from our sins so that we can be with God. 
Now, I'm guessing for many of you, you've heard that story before. Uh, Not just on Christmas, but you know it is the central story of Christianity. The reason Christians are called Christians is the word Christ is right in the middle of our name. We are people like Jesus, people who trust Jesus, people who depend on Jesus. Jesus is the center of what we do. My final question for you today, my, my final thing to remind you of is simply to ask you this. Is Jesus really the center of your life? Maybe you're here visiting and this is your first sermon, not because you're usually in nursery, but because you're not usually in church. And maybe that's an unfamiliar message to you. Let me urge you to consider that Jesus is the center of what it means to be a Christian. If you know him, you will know what Christianity is about. If you miss him, you will miss it all. Let me also urge you, those of you who are overly familiar Perhaps you've struggled a little bit to stay awake in the midst of a story that seems fairly familiar. The Christmas story, the story of his birth and his mission and his salvation. Let me ask you, is it the reality of your life that Jesus is the thing you most need? Sometimes people say that in their heads and they say it with their words, but when it comes to everyday life, we find that Jesus can begin to take a back seat, that he can begin to be more distant, that other things, good things, get bigger. Maybe we spend our time thinking so much about our work or even our family, our hobbies, our political concerns. Perhaps we are so occupied with the other stuff, the legitimately good stuff that Jesus fades to the background or maybe we find that we love bad things more than we love Jesus and our vision is dimmed because we hold on to something he tells us to let go of is Jesus the center of your life do you encounter Jesus in the midst of the decisions you make The passage tells us today Jesus is the Christ, he's the king, that means he's the ruler, his rule affects our life. So a simple diagnostic question, does Jesus tell you what to do? Do you make decisions based on what Jesus wants for your life or what you want for your life? Jesus commissioned his apostles to give us a faith written down in the Bible and the Bible gives us a clear description of how we are to live. It's not easy, but it's clear. Do the rules Jesus gives you shape your life or do you live by your own rules? Do you know Jesus as Savior? Do you recognize parts of your own life and your own heart where you want something wrong? Let me just urge you to think of this today, whether you're young or old, that until you know that your heart is deceptive, you really won't know Jesus. Until you learn that sometimes we want things that are not good, we won't know what it means to have a Savior. Maybe when you're young, it's the simplest form of wanting an extra cookie you weren't supposed to have. Being oh so tempted to have it. Have you ever felt a time in your life where you said, I really want it? But God says no. Friends, that's the place where you can meet Jesus. Because he can forgive our sins and he can begin to change our desires. 
when you have done something wrong in your guilt or your shame, do you know that Jesus cleanses you? Will you meet him there? Or are you hiding, protecting, controlling those parts of your life where there's sin and corruption? And finally, do you know Jesus as Emmanuel, God with us? Do you know that as you read your Bible, as you listen to him in prayer, as you trust him and depend on him, as you cry out to him that Jesus is with you and he gives you power? In fact, Jesus said, if you live in me and I live in you, you can make all kinds of good fruit come out of your life. But if you don't, you can't do anything that lasts or matters. Are you depending on Jesus? Are you bearing spiritual fruit in him? Is this simple, most basic Christian story the story that shapes your life? Let me read to you the words of someone who's far away. I've been reading a book written by Chinese pastors. It's called Grace to the City. I hope we can have it available for you soon. The editors are are S.E. Wang and Hannah Nation, a former member of, of our church. In this introduction, they talk about the growing gospel in China, the Chinese church, the Chinese church that is young, and growing, but often vital in their faith, even in the midst of great persecution. Let me read you these simple words that struck me the other day. Everything about the gospel story points to the Christmas story, the incarnated second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ. If the gospel is not the person of Christ, then it is nothing. In the introduction, the authors go on to say that Christianity is very new in China and because it's a young religion, 150 years old at most, sometimes they lose their way. They get distracted. Something else grabs their attention. Something else replaces Jesus. This is our human tendency, whether you're a young Chinese church or a church, if you're a Christian in a country that's had a church for a long time, The church can use even our good works and our doctrine and teaching to replace Jesus and we fail to have union with Christ. Once the church comes back and engages the gospel that points to Christ, everything comes alive. Quote, as the church starts to chase Christ and feed on him, every day revival takes place. Christ gives life to his people Union with him is at the core of our faith. Friends, from a a young church in a country where God is growing his church, we're reminded that Jesus is the center of what we do. The long-expected Jesus is our hope. He's the fulfillment of all the promises. He answers the big questions, but he is the one now living and active that can cause us to live lives that are faithful. Let us not lose sight of the one for whom all things are working to glorify Jesus. Let's close in prayer.